My name is Christian Ashley, a seminary student and servant of God, and you are listening to the Let Nothing Move You podcast, a proud Anazal Ministries podcast. Welcome back to the Let Nothing Move You podcast. I'm your host, Christian Ashley, as today we'll be going into Genesis 27 and 28. Nothing further to add here. i head straight into this sucker. Uh, we're starting in verses 1 through 4. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now what we see here is that Isaac has gotten old, much like his father before him in Abraham, like it's the unfortunate passing of time. He is, and as a result of growing old, he is losing parts of himself that he normally would be able to rely on. It's uh, unfortunately is part of nature. Our bodies degrade and we're not able to use those same faculties as easier, as easily as we did in the past. You're not able to run as fast. You're not able to see as well. You're not able to think as swiftly. Like our bodies break down. And the simple fact of the matter is that we are all growing older than we would like to think we are. And eventually nature will catch up to us in this broken world. Now, our bodies weren't meant to do this, but because of the sinful world we live in and the after effects of the fall, our bodies degrade over time with no regard for who that person is or what they've done. It's just a simple fact of nature. This inevitability can be upset, unsettling, and I don't blame you for being unsettled, but we need to be able to accept it as part of reality. It is ultimately a good thing. For those of us who are his, that our bodies do degrade. Could you imagine a world where the great and evil men and women of the past didn't die, had no capability of like, stopping themselves from continuing on? Could you imagine a world where uh, we lived with Mao Zedong, where we lived with the Benito Mussolini, where we lived with the Genghis Khan or what have you? They're still around. It's, it doesn't always feel like it. And death is one of those things that's part of, uh, ironically, part of life that we need to wrestle with in certain respects. And some of us do it better than others. Some of us in the moment, we're definitely not as good as it as we should be. And that's fine. But it's something we all need to think about. And Isaac was thinking about that and knowing that he has to leave a legacy behind, he decides to do it through his means instead of consulting God for what he wants. And in the process that he has known that he has become old, he wishes to offer a blessing to his eldest son, Esau, because it is tradition to do so. And unfortunately, it's also one of the negative parts of his favoritism. We noticed there are positive parts earlier, but this is part of the negative way of showing favoritism to a child. And like the first part, once again, it's a perfectly natural thing to do because according to the culture at the time, the firstborn son is the one who's supposed to inherit things because he got here first. That's how it's supposed to go. And But the latter part, his favoritism shows that Isaac is lying to himself about who is worthier of the blessing. Like it is common knowledge at this point that Esau sold the birthright to Jacob. Uh, I can't imagine a world where Esau, impetuous as he is, didn't just say that out loud. But Isaac willfully ignores this fact so that his favored son can get his blessing. Isaac knows in his heart that Esau is an inadequate inheritor. Uh, he's seen it in the way that he has treated his birthright, in the way he treats his brother in the way that he is being flippant in his sexual relationships with the women in his life. But he willfully ignores all that because he is spiritually blind in addition to his physical blindness. 
and he allows his desires to override truth. And it's so easy to be in that scenario, to think, well, well, sure, they're they're doing these things, but like, I like them. I I want good for them. And maybe if I do this, they'll, they'll turn away from those things instead of being firm and you're like, hey, get your act together. We can't have that happening in the church here. Quit engaging in those sins so openly that people know about them and going, oh, they just let people do whatever they want there in that church. We just let our deacons do this, our elders do this, our pastors do this, our priests do this, what have you. That is unacceptable when it comes to uh, our own spiritual walks and it comes to running and maintaining a church. This is something that never should happen. And yet Isaac has allowed himself to fall into this folly. And we'll move on from there to verses 5 through 25. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring the game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I might prepare them from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. What we see here is that Rebekah has also allowed her favoritism to get in the way of her objectivity. She's allowed what should have been an okay thing, something that's fine, liking one child better than the other in some respects, being you know able to be closer to them in some respects over another kid to get to the point where she has truly favored one child over another to show that she cares more for one than another. She knows uh, objectively that Jacob is worthier of the blessing, but Instead of rationally speaking with her husband about this issue, she conspires with her son to take what is not offered to him. Now, could this be because Isaac just won't listen to reason? Maybe she has talked to him beforehand. We're not told explicitly here. But like, if she hasn't done this and this is her best idea, we have an issue. Not only with her, but also with Isaac. And that the two of them are in spiritual darkness together on this 
wanting something that is good for her son, Jacob, but doing throw through less than moral means. He deserves the blessing. He has the birthright. He is the one that God has chosen throughout all of this. But how he obtains it shows how unworthy his heart is to receive it. The blessing is going to be a good thing. It's something that God is going to use. But Jacob is not worthy of it in how he has acted. God will still use him. Jacob will grow as a result of this. He will become a man who seeks after God, as we'll see in these chapters. But right here and now, he's proving, now mm, you really don't get this kid. You don't, you don't deserve this blessing. If they had both taken the time to trust God to work here, maybe Jacob would have, would have, excuse me, Isaac would have had a change of heart, or maybe God would have spoken to Isaac and that would have made him do something like, well, we'll never know. Uh, because instead, we end up with, with a scheme that will threaten to tear this family apart. Like, look, Rebecca's plan is a very crafty plan. And it's easy to see where Jacob gets his intellect from as she spells out precisely how to trick her husband into giving Jacob the blessing. Like, that is clever. That is, she has thought through all the avenues of how to uh, get this done in the mortal world. But this cleverness causes evil to spread in the household. Just because a, a plan is clever and well thought out doesn't make it moral. We need to think of those things when we're making these big decisions in our lives and the smaller decisions as well. It's like, hey, we can do this, but am I sinning in order to get it done? Am I compromising myself in order to get it done? Rebecca and Jacob compromised. Isaac is compromised. Esau has pretty much always been compromised. No one is looking like a good person here. But that's part of the good story of this entire world is that even though when we are acting wicked, God is still able to use that wickedness for his glory and the world, as we will see as time goes on here. But ultimately, Jacob is still to blame for deciding to go through with it. You're sure it was Rebecca's idea. Maybe he had thought of it at some point, but she's the one who brings it into being. He's the one who has to say yes to it. Now, sometimes we are presented with sinful opportunities by those we trust. Sometimes from family, sometimes by best friends. We know they are wrong to have the ideas, and we know that sin will abound if these plans come to fruition. But sometimes we willingly blind ourselves because we know the perpetrator and desire the outcomes that they offer. Jacob wants the blessings, uh, don't we all? But how does he get it? Not through loving his father, not by honoring his father, not even by honoring his mother, because if he truly honored her, he would tell her, no, we're not doing this. Rebecca is responsible for the plan, but Jacob is responsible for following through with it. No one here is blameless in this situation. And lying in general is sinful. But lying to those who have no means to discover the lie, I'd argue that's even worse in some respects. Isaac's sight is gone, and he is forced to trust the people around him to tell the truth of the things he cannot see. By deceiving his father this way, Jacob proves himself to be crafty, but foolish in spirit. If he truly loved his father, he never would have done this. But the reward was just too tempting. So he denied rationality and he went after his own desires. 
once again, blessings, really good thing. And it seems that Isaac has some special ability to actually make these things come to pass. He does act as a prophet, as we will see. So, yeah, if I know someone is capable of doing that, well, I want them to say good things about me. I want them to be able to say, yeah, you're blessed. Your descendants will be as as wide, you know, as vast as the sand on the ocean, on the seashore, and uh, as fast as the stars in the sky, and you'll rule the world. It's like, oh, that sounds pretty dang cool. But is it what I'm being called towards? Is it what God wants for me? God wants this for Jacob, but not through these means, not in this way. And we'll go through 26 through 29. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now, Isaac, by nature, isn't too foolish of a person. But at this stage in his life, he is very easy to deceive as his body has been worn down from age. The blessings he intends for Esau show that he doesn't really care as much as he should about Jacob's future, too. I mean, look right there. It's dominion over your brothers. Cool. That's it's a very nice thing to say to the younger siblings there. I, I say that as the oldest sibling. <laughs> like, that's it's not very courteous. Maybe that's exactly what God wants to say, and I'm being the fool for saying what I'm saying. But it doesn't sound very nice. Now, naturally, once again, the oldest son should have been the one receiving the most bounteous of blessings. But it doesn't mean that the second son should have been so poorly cared for in the blessing. We'll see later on what Jacob has to offer Esau for his blessing when he begs for one because he's given everything good to Jacob. However, this blessing also serves as a prophecy that God allows Isaac to speak that will help define God's plans for Jacob despite his many sins in this scenario, just to this one. Isaac prophesies about Jacob's future blessings, one that will offer him and his many descendants wealth and glory that will ultimately bless the world. God's plan is further revealed here in that the people of the earth will be blessed by Jacob and his children, that Esau will bow down to him, and that everyone who curses him will be cursed. That is a tremendous blessing to have. A reverse Uno card. Oh, you think you can curse me? Too bad. I've been blessed to the opposite happens. It's going to happen to you. That latter blessing serves dually as a curse on those who would harm God's chosen. And no matter how many times Israel's enemies would gain momentary victories over them, Israel being the descendants of Jacob, their ultimate fate at harming God's chosen people would be punishment. No matter how many times God uses the other nations to humble Israel, he uses Assyria, he uses Babylon, he uses Egypt, he uses the Philistines, he uses the Edomites, he uses the Moabites, Ammonites, so on and so forth. They always get their comeuppance on God's time because they went after God's chosen people. This blessing extends to today. This is part of the everlasting covenant God made with his people Israel. And anyone foolish enough to harm them when they have done nothing wrong, when they've done something wrong, that's another argument to be had. This curse is still in effect. This blessing is still in effect. I'll move on from there to verses 30 through 40. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. 
He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is it not is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved the blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Recognizing Jacob's deception, Isaac doesn't withdraw his blessing. He recognizes that despite his own desires, he has spoken God's words on Jacob, and for him to rescind those blessings would be to defy the will of God. Yet, he still has compassion on Esau and gives him what he can, speaking further prophecies about how he will prosper, but not as well as his brother. Esau will also be forced to use warfare to grow and be under the subjugation of his brother and his descendants, but will eventually earn some, win himself some freedom. Edom, the nation that comes from Esau, would fall under the control of Israel hundreds of years later, under the reign of King David, but eventually they would break away once Israel's power had waned to become their own nation again. They start getting away in the reign of Solomon. They're conquered again later on through the actions of some of the other kings, but they get away again. It's something they will be under the subjugation of Israel for the most part, but they will win their freedom in some respects. And it only happens because of this blessing. Like, hey, Esau is still Isaac's kid. He still is someone he loves. Despite all the sins that Isaac knows that Esau has committed, despite the, the flippant way he's treated his own birthright, he still wants good for him. And that's true of every parent who's had a child that doesn't listen to the word, that has decided, you know, no matter what has been said in their lives, no matter how much they've been in church, how much they've experienced other godly people, they decided to do their own thing. And the parents will still want best for him. It's not like you say, well, well, screw you, kid. You're not going to listen to what I have to say. Well, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I'm not going to care about you anymore. A good parent wouldn't do that. A good parent would still want his best for their kid to be as loving as possible to that child. And Isaac is attempting to offer that to someone who is going to prove that he is very unworthy of it. But he still loves his son and he still wants good for him. And let's see how good all Esau takes it in verses 41 through 46. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you, my son, excuse me, about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, Flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turn, turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. 
Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of, this, of the land, what good will my life be to me? Esau is right to be angry at being deceived in this fashion. But his follow through is what ultimately marks him as the villain of the story here. No matter how he feels, murder is never a righteous option and confirms that he is unworthy of the initial blessing that Jacob received. Oftentimes, when we're wronged, we can start off as righteously angry at what has transpired, and that is a good thing. It is good to be angry when you are harmed for, through no fault of your own. But it is also easy to end up allowing that anger to turn into sin if we are not careful about it when we channel those emotions. Esau failed himself and his family to think that way. Now, those of you who've been following, you know, I've, I have been quite bitter and quite angry over that whole situation of what I thought would have been a great opportunity for me um, that didn't work out because apparently you don't like single people over there. Now, it, it'd be so easy for me to just make snide comment after snide comment and throw those people under the bus and, and say they're not doing anything of worth. And that's where my head wants to go. It wants to go that I have been wronged. You have a rule I don't agree with that has nothing to do with Scripture, that has nothing to do with how things should be done. So you are worthless in my eyes. That is the wrong way to take it. That is where my mind wants to go. It wants to dwell in that anger, thinking that I'm still in that righteous anger phase, that I'm still in, hey, I have been wronged spiritually. I have been wronged throughout this whole process. I deserve some payback here. But then I take that and go, okay, well, I'm going to deal it out. I'm going to talk about them behind everyone else's back. You shouldn't join our organization. You shouldn't do, be associated with them. They're terrible people. When the opposite is true, they're doing good work. They are reaching people with the gospel. They are loving other people like God wants them to be loved. There's just that one sticking point that makes it all crumble when it comes to me. So I can sit here and say, hey, they're terrible people, never associate with them. And I would be lying just because I have been hurt. Just because Esau has been hurt, he allows that anger to swell in his mind, creating a storm where he thinks the only way out of this to get those blessings back is to murder his own brother. And sure, maybe not all the times when we're dealing with that, the murder isn't always the option we think about, but it happens more often than it should. And maybe we just get petty about it. Maybe we just, just talk behind those people's backs, or maybe we try and undermine their successes. That's not how we're supposed to go about this. That's not how we're supposed to love. Now, Rebecca... Real, uh, recognizing that Esau is about to do something very unholy, warns Jacob and tasks him with running away to safety with her brother Laban, knowing that family will take him in. Despite her actions, Rebecca loves both her children and doesn't want to see harm come to either one of them. Yet it's clear like she loves Jacob more than Esau, but she still doesn't want to see Esau commit murder. She doesn't want to lose essentially both of her children through that action. What happens? Oh, boy. So I think the power just went out. Oh, nope. Did I get it back? There we go. That's the second time in about three days that the power has gone off. Uh, thank God this was only for a second rather than an hour. So that's fun. I don't know. Keep that in if you want, Joshua. So but where was I at? So, yeah, Rebecca loves both her children. 
she hasn't proven it as much as she probably should have when it comes to Esau. But like in a way, her complaining about how he has handled himself with his marriage life is a way of her showing love to him. It's like, you deserve better. You are my son. You should not be associating with these women. I love you too much to stay silent on this matter. But if she had never instigated this plot to steal the blessing, this wouldn't have been happening. And it's so easy. It's like, well, well oh, well, I got to... I got to solve this situation, a situation that never would have had to have been solved in the first place if we hadn't have been the ones to bring it into fruition. Now, it's easy to just yell at her and say, girl, you, why are you doing this? We know why. Because she wants what's best, what she thinks is best for Jacob, knowing that he is the worthier option out of the two. But that doesn't make her decisions right in how she goes about getting it done. And furthermore, she is also very afraid of Jacob becoming seduced by the ways of the Canaanites like Esau and desires for him to find a woman more virtuous as his wife, hoping that someone near her family, if not a member of that family, will be a better match for her son. Now, why didn't she also do that to Esau? Well, maybe she offered it as an option. Maybe she and Isaac did, and Esau didn't listen. We don't know. We're not told. But we do know that Jacob will head that way, and that would be part of his journey. As we continue on to chapter 28, verses 1 through 5. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now that the blessing has been given out, Isaac counsels Jacob on his next move. He further blesses him despite his deception, showing his love for the son that may not have always been apparent to the younger man, and sets him off to find his fortune elsewhere to save Jacob from Esau. Now, we talk about how Rebecca isn't always showing the love that Esau needs as a child of that mother. Jake, excuse me, Isaac hasn't always shown that same love to, to Jacob. So both parents are at fault here, allowing their favoritism to go on the too far side of things instead of, you know, doting on their children, loving them. But Isaac, perhaps in some repentance here, has learned this is what I need to do. I need to send him away for a time and perhaps he will actually listen to me and find a virtuous woman from our family as his wife, someone who will look after him. We'll get to the shenanigans that happen as a result of that in later chapters. But for right now, that is an honest desire of the parents. Says, look, we failed your brother. He's gone down this path. We don't want the same for you. Do this instead. And Jacob listens. But Isaac also reminds him that Jacob is going to be receiving the blessing of Abraham, which means that while he may live away from Canaan for a time, he must return one day to inherit the land promised to him. It is part of that covenant that God made with Abraham, that the land of Canaan will belong to him and his descendants. So if Jacob leaves for a time, he's got to come back because that is his land. That is his true birthright. Then we get to verses six through nine. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Badan Aram to take a wife from there, and that, and as that, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, "You must must not take a wife from the Canaanite women," and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Badan Aram. So when 
Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father. Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Esau, in a moment of self-reflection, once again learns the wrong lesson from Isaac's words to Jacob. Seeking the favor of his parents, he takes the wrong lesson and marries into the family as well, because guess what? They're related to Ishmael taking one of Ishmael's daughters as his wife, hoping this will make them happy. Instead, it's going to have the opposite effect as it further proves that he is led by his passions and not a heart that seeks God. He thinks, oh, well, they just want to marry within the family. That's what will make them happy. Well, Ishmael is part of the family. No, that's not the point. The point is, why are you being with these women? Why are you seeking after them? Esau is seeking what he wants instead of what he needs. And what he wanted was three beautiful women. And as a result, that just makes his parents feel even worse about the situation. And you know, poor Mahaloth, too. Like, we don't really get too much from her, but it doesn't feel like she has too much say in the matter. And we'll finish off today in verses 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed that, behold, there was a ladder set up on, set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of the that of that place, Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full 10th to you. Jacob, naturally so, is feeling anxious at his new state in life. Now, God, knowing this, offers him a dream where God counsels Jacob and confirms the promises that he made with Jacob's ancestors that he will provide for and protect him and that God will keep his promises to him. Now, Jacob, to his immense credit, realizing the fullness of what has just happened to himself, praises God for his faithfulness and makes an altar to God there, calling it Bethel, which means house of God, proving himself to be the better man compared to his brother, Jacob earnestly seeks out God and trusts in him on his way to a land he has never dwelt in before, making that solemn vow to serve God 
and that's Genesis 27 through 28. Thank you guys for listening. Please get a chance to leave a five-star review in your podcasting platform of choice. Just to help us out with the ratings there. If you're interested in my own fiction writing, you can find my works at StarvingWritersGuild.com or on Amazon by searching for the name MC Ashley. If you're all interested in some further solid studies into the Bible and its teachings, then check out the other members of the Anazal Ministries Podcasting Network. You can contact me at LetNothingMoviePodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to extend a special thank you to Joshua Knoll for the editing that he does and for the music he adds to the podcast. And with all that in mind, God bless you on accordance to his will and not mine. And allow me one more time to remind you, let nothing move you. Hey guys, are you interested in podcasting but don't know where to go? Well, check out Zencaster.com and go ahead and make an account there and use special promo code Let Nothing Move You, all caps. That way you can get 30% off of your next deal to go ahead and set things up so you can figure out how to edit stuff using Zencaster.com to host your stuff to get things done there. So check out Zencaster.com, use special promo code Let Nothing Move You. All right, see ya.